I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It began in spring 2022, and since then, it's a scene that's played out again and again. People dressed in orange high-vis jackets, occupying streets, public spaces and bringing major events to a halt, from the Chelsea Flower Show to the World Championship snooker. And if you were watching The Ashes last week, then you can't have missed the pitch invasion at Lords. Oh no, I don't like the look at this. We've got people running on. This, wow. this is terrible. Orange smoke and dust. They're trying to keep them off the pitch. Protesters, two of them. As for the protesters themselves, they have one simple message. Just stop oil. We are part of Just Stop Oil. We're asking the government stop licensing fossil fuels, which are a death sentence to us all. But are their tactics alienating the public? Those are the oil factories, don't stop people from making a living. You think this is acceptable? Now I'm lying, you idiot! I'm not saying so hard! The impact of these disruptors is huge. And the cost of the taxpayer is an outrage. £4.5 million spent in just six weeks. And now the disruption has prompted the government to act with a raft of measures limiting the way people can protest. These sections provide the police with the powers to impose conditions on harmful protests which cause or risk causing serious disruption to the life of the community. But is protest and disruption necessary to force us to focus on climate. We're in a dire situation right now. We had three named storms in a week in the United Kingdom recently. It hit 49 degrees C in British Columbia recently. It's supposed to have a top temperature of like 16 degrees. You can imagine people in the future who are being affected by those worst events might have a more sympathetic view to these people disrupting people. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, who exactly are Just Stop Oil? 
Hi, I'm Adam Vaughan. I'm the Environment Editor at The Times. Adam, for a lot of people, the first time they probably heard of Just Stop Oil was in March last year when a football match was just very suddenly interrupted. Take us back to that moment and just describe the scene. What actually happened? There was a series of um, Premier League matches, actually, that got interrupted by Just Stop Oil. The one that people will probably remember is Everton versus Newcastle United. This guy comes on and then... Before you know it, he's locked to the goalpost. At this point, I don't think it was clear what was happening. All you knew is the guy had a T-shirt on, right, with an orange T-shirt saying, just stop oil, and no one knew what that meant, really, at that point. But that image of him handcuffed to the goalpost, wearing that T-shirt, emblazoned with the words, just stop oil, that image went all around the world, really. Yeah, I mean, this is a group that, a bit like Greenpeace before them, knows the power of an image and the way that can be half the battle, as it were, when it comes to media coverage. That's very much become sort of their modus operandi of doing photos that will potentially be on next, you know, the front page of next day's newspapers. Yeah. And that was, as you say, just the start. We've seen them disrupt all sorts of events since then. It then sort of ticked away in the background a bit. There was some protests on the M25, which people might remember. I'm here. I'm here because I don't have a future. And you might hate me for doing this, and you're entitled to hate me. But I wish you would direct all that anger and hatred at our government. And I guess for a lot of people, the sort of breakthrough moment, as you mentioned, is... uh, an art gallery at the National Gallery in London. And this is when um, two young women threw soup at Van Gogh's sunflowers and then proceeded to glue themselves onto the wall, to which I think for a lot of people <laughs> was A, quite shocking, and B, a kind of, why are climate protesters throwing soup at paintings <laughs> by dead artists? What is worth more, art or life? Is it worth more than food? worth more than justice? Are you more concerned about the protection of a painting or the protection of our planet and people? I guess because it was so unusual, apart from getting their message across with their T-shirts and so on, they also sort of triggered a debate about why they're doing this. And so there was then a lot of conversations about the fact that, rightly or wrongly, the media and many members of the public have sort of become inured to protests at like the obvious places. People are used to protests at things like oil terminals by then they were even used to you know protests on roads and so on and so they were very clear that they were very deliberately choosing something completely new and shocking and different to get our attention and i suppose we should add that last summer in the midst of all of these events they did also paint the doors of our offices bright yellow Yes, they have visited our offices and some of our journalists uh, pointed out that we'd been putting uh, climate and, you know, hot weather and heat wave stories and such on the front page and elsewhere in the newspaper. But yes, we, we were amongst the uh, targets. The group has been doing these very high-profile publicity-grabbing events in order to attract attention. But just tell us a bit about who they are now that we've become used to seeing them around who are just stop oil and what is it that they really want i mean obviously to cause a debate but what are their key aims 
you know, we've got a long history of environmental campaigning groups in this country. You've got your sort of organized ones that have almost become like the establishment, your green pieces and your friends of the earth and so on. But there's also been, you know, for decades, there's been a sort of loose grouping of people um, going back to, you know, reclaim the streets in the 1990s about round road protests and your swampies and so on to the sort of noughties where you had protests against coal at King's North and, I don't know if you remember things called climate camps. These became a sort of annual thing. And these sort of protests and these groups go back a long way. There's a lot of people who know each other. There's obviously constantly a sort of new generation of people coming on board as well. I think one of the sort of key moments was was around Extinction Rebellion being formed sort of back in 2019. And that was in the wake of a big climate science report you know, showing how little carbon we could burn if we we're going to keep the world in sort of safe limits and there was a sort of wave of activism then you had extinction rebellion you had greta thunberg sort of going from sweden to international and sort of inspiring this fridays for future movement as it's called and which is obviously still going now mm. and yes yeah, so, which is a long-winded way of saying this group has its roots in a sort of long-standing grouping of people who have similar interests on climate change and then they crystallized into this with a very targeted, specific aim. It's not save the world or stop climate change. It's very specifically about one element of policy, quite an important one, which is about the licensing of oil and gas projects in the UK. So they want an end to those licenses. They want the government to stop issuing these licenses, which allow companies to then explore and then obviously produce oil and gas, which obviously when burned in our cars and power stations and elsewhere produces carbon emissions which drive the climate change that we're seeing all around us. Adam, you mentioned that some of the people who came to join Just Stop Oil had come out of groups like Extinction Rebellion. Tell us a bit about how they came together. One of the key groups that sort of led to the formation of this was Insulate Britain, which was another group which is, um, I don't know if you remember, sort of spent the autumn of 2021 blocking a lot of the roads. And they were calling for the government to get serious about home insulation, so draft proofing and insulating people's lofts and walls and so on. And um, that was a sort of interesting mix of people, sort of both quite young and quite old, when you sort of went along to see these people. That kind of, that went on for a while and that to an extent it fizzled out and what partially has happened there is some of those people left and have joined, sort of set up Just Up Oil. And Adam, you know, it's interesting that you can sort of draw a path between Extinction Rebellion, Insulate Britain and Just Up Oil and how it forms. In what way, though, is it different? Who are its members and how many people are part of this group? You know, do we have a sense of who's leading it? It's really hard to tell. I mean, there's certainly one thing is true is that some people are in like all the groups. So there's overlap between the groups. You know, I've spoken to some people who are like, oh, I used to be in Inchlet Britain, now I'm doing Just Up Oil. I think some people have been attracted to this for the first time because of its clarity of message. So they've liked the fact that there's a very clear single ask. That's definitely brought a few people in for the first time. But in terms of how many people are involved, it's very hard to tell because it's very, in like the O's other movements, it's quite decentralised by nature it's quite informal. It's, you know, they actually talk about themselves as being a sort of network of groups. So it's mm. like there's groups within groups of just, you know, we talk about Just Stop Oil as a singular entity, but in reality, it's uh, more of a mishmash of little groups. 
So sort of quite a sprawling structure. It's not like a a well-structured group. But we do know about some of its spokespeople because people do come out and do interviews on its behalf. Just tell us a bit about some of the key figures we've seen. There's a chap I was talking to recently called Graham Buss. We're doing this because peaceful negotiations quiet discussions in rooms, standing outside buildings with placards, does not get the attention of the media. We do this He's a former staffer at Shell. He worked there for decades and now is retired. And Graham was talking to me because I was reaching out to people who present, said they considered themselves middle class. And he said he was fairly solidly in that camp, spent decades working as an oil exec and uh, now is sort of fairly comfortable sort of in retirement and decided he needed to do something. And that's what he was doing. But I mean, in terms of sort of individuals, you know, if you look at who's done the protest, it's almost always different faces. Thank you so much for having me on. As you say, I'm Phoebe, I'm 21, and I'm a student from London and a supporter of Just Stop Oil. We're joined now by Indigo Rumbelow from Just Stop Oil. So the climate crisis is disrupting... It's a rotating cast. ...around the world right now, and even here in the UK this summer... very much not about figureheads, which goes with that sort of decentralised kind of non-hierarchical thing I was talking about. And birds falling out of the sky and pensioners dying before they should. This is just the beginning. And Adam, who's funding Just Stop Oil? It's from a real mixture. Some of it is from members of the public. Certainly, we know a chunk of money is coming from a US philanthropic outfit called the Climate Emergency Fund. So this was um, founded by the fossil fuel heiress Eileen Getty. And we know for a fact that's given $4.5 million in grants to different organisations in last year, 2022. More recently, the green energy entrepreneur Dale Vince has been in the news the wind energy businessman, Dale Vince, has given a reported £1.5 million to Labour. He's also an active supporter and funder of the Just Stop Oil campaign, which is famous now. He owns the electricity company, or energy company, I should say, Ecotricity, mm. and he has been giving them money, and that's been of interest to certain papers because he also gives money to the Labour Party. So it's kind of quite surprising how many people do give money to them. I was talking to Chris Packham, the naturalist and broadcaster the other day and um you know i I was just asking what he thought about just stop oil and he said he was a big supporter and he gives them money every month so some of them are sort of celebrities stroke public figures some of them are sort of philanthropic funds some of them are just normal people giving them money and the group has sort of come under fire for having some celebrities but also just being predominantly white middle class and perhaps not very diverse is there any truth to that I mean, it certainly has been an issue with environmental activism full stop in the UK for as long as I have covered it, which is like going back sort of 15 years or so, it's been an issue. It's been too white and too middle class, definitely. There's some truth in that. I don't know if there's been any good research on the demographics of Just Stop Oil, but certainly there has been on previous groups. And that did find that, you know, it's not particularly representative and it's pure anecdote. But, you know, I went to the Again, this wasn't just a Poils event, but I went to the Extinction Rebellion big one event recently in London where there was tens of thousands of people at and I was I was struck by in this sort of multicultural city like London, how I'm a middle aged white guy and but I was struck by 
how white it was you know that one in particular and this is not necessarily indicative of the wider movements that one in particular brought up a lot of people to london you talk to people and they come up from market towns like the sort of place i live you know in the south of england and so, so people have come up from sort of maybe less diverse places to protest i mean that's certainly a a massive wider issue the environment movement has full stop and people when they do join just stop oil seem so committed to the cause just give us a sense of what is the group's worldview? What is it in, that inspires such commitment? How do they see the world and the threat of climate change? They are obviously deeply concerned about the impacts of climate change. I think it's clear to anyone that we are seeing those now. It's you know not just your sort of floods in Pakistan and things that you can think are over there, not my problem, but Britain last year had 40 degree temperatures in July and we saw grass fires of the sort we've never seen before destroying you know around 100 properties and that particular people go well you can't say that was climate change well you can't say it's climate change but scientists did do a study shortly afterwards that showed it was made much more probable by climate change so it's you know i think it's clear that climate change is here these people are very concerned about that and don't feel that the government is doing enough is their view of it sort of more apocalyptic than others? You're right. A lot of people are concerned about climate change. In fact, I was looking the other day at the government's own polling. It's 82% of people in the UK are concerned to some degree or another about climate change. In terms of their view of the world, I mean, you could argue they have a slightly sort of pessimistic view, perhaps, that, you know, we're not going to fix things. Therefore, you know, it's more dire than it, it might be if some of the promises get put into place in terms of net zero targets and the rest of it. I think, do they have an apocalyptic vision of the world? I mean, nearly 200 countries promised in 2015 in Paris to hold global temperature rises to well below 2 degrees and 1.5 degrees if we could. We're on 1.2 now. The current, depending on who you listen to, we're probably on track for about 2.4, maybe 2.6 degrees of temperature rise. And last year, global carbon emissions rose this year they're expected to rise again uh, they're meant to almost not quite they're meant to almost halve by the end of the decade if we're to stand a chance of getting on track for 1.5 so you know globally you can sort of see why these people are very angry and passionate about it it's clear what one of the beefs of the groups are that although the government has made a lot of policy around diversifying to electric vehicles to renewable energy and so on it's sort of the government's sort of having its cake and eating it. So the government is doing all those good things, but at the same time, it's also allowing the so-called bad thing, in some people's view, of exploiting more oil and gas to continue. So that's the kind of thing that they're pushing at here. Coming up, are Just Stop Oil's tactics effective. That's in just a moment. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, 
things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Adam, Just Stop Oil, as you said, aren't the first climate activist group to come along. In fact, they've emerged from a number of others. Tell us a bit more about Extinction Rebellion and Insulate Britain, who you mentioned earlier, who contributed to some of the people who've now joined Just Stop Oil. Give us a sense of how they operated and what their tactics were. Well, Extinction Rebellion was set up by three people and they were initially very successful at bringing in new people to sort of activism. So they brought in a kind of new, more kind of professionalised class, middle-class people who felt passionate about this issue but hadn't necessarily taken part in protests before. So there was a lot of people who were suddenly taking part in protests, shutting roads and bridges who would never have thought about doing that before. I think one of the ways they did it was by making it seem fun. There was a lot of stuff around music and art and, you know, the Extinction Rebellion logo quickly became quite iconic, this hourglass sort of logo that they have. When I travelled around the country, they'd hold a lot of community events where, you know, half the fun is sort of going along and making a placard or whatever. And then they made protests, climate protests seem like normal, seem mass market. People were bringing their families and kids and so on. I think they did a very sort of clever job of making it seem fun and normal to protest against climate change. They were certainly seen as disruptive and a lot of people hated them for that, it's fair to say. But that disruption got the attention of the political class and the media class. And then they sort of squandered it, basically, by alienating people. So the sort of iconic moment was when they interrupted a train, a London train. Anger erupted after a rush hour train was held up for more than 10 minutes and neither station staff nor the police intervened. You come to work in your car. Imagine to hospital or something. That was quite an early train, so partly because it was so early, it was taking quite a lot of what one might call working-class people going to work, catching an early shift or coming home or going to work, basically stopped people getting to work via a seemingly clean form of public transport. And that sort of became a bit of a watershed moment where I think even people within the group realised they maybe overstepped a line. They're doing it for the right reasons, but they're doing it the wrong way. No one should do that anyway, regardless of what it is. That's just out of order and it's not right. And there was a lot of debate about where they went next. And then in 
January this year, they effectively said, we're stopping our disruptive tactics and we're going to try something different. And they've now tried to go for a more kind of big 10, bring in lots of allies, bring in sort of trade unions, bring in other environmental groups, try and go for as many people as you can and be much more and try and bring the public with them rather than necessarily devil may care as to whether you're upset that we've disrupted you. So that was a big sort of reinvention for them. And very different to Just Stop Oil. What about Insulate Britain, one of the other groups that sort of have led to the formation of Just Stop Oil? Tell us a bit about their tactics. I mean, Just Stop Oil, I guess you could say, probably took the roadblocking stuff to the next level in terms of garnering media attention anyway. So, you know, you went Extinction Rebellion had primarily done road closures sort of around the places of power, if you like. So, you know, around Parliament Square in London and so on. Insulate Britain took it out to motorways, to normal A roads, normal suburbs. And so that was in some senses more radical when it sort of got attention because it was a bit different. People are used to protests around Parliament Square. You know, that's not that unusual. But the blocking of motorways and so on was unusual. And it seemed as well that the police didn't have a lot of powers at the time to stop it. There's a lot of debate about whether the police were doing enough, whether the law allowed them to do enough and so on. So they they were more radical, I think it's fair to say, than Extinction Rebellion in that sense, because they were trying something new and doing quite potentially risky stuff. Going and blocking a motorway is no small deal. And what's happened to those groups, to Extinction Rebellion and Insulate Britain? Because we sort of we hear much less of them now that Just Stop Oil have arrived on the scene. Yeah, I mean, Just Up Oil has certainly taken most of the oxygen, it's clear, and Extinction Rebellion is certainly still going, there's no doubt about that, Insulate Britain less so. So it's interesting that because Just Up Oil are taking a slightly more hardline stance, they are the ones who are getting all the headlines and all the attention, and Extinction Rebellion, who were sort of yesterday's star, if you like, they, despite attracting a lot of people to London, they didn't really get much coverage for that. And with Just Stop Oil and sort of some of the big publicity stunts that they've pulled, all the disruption that comes with those protests does come at a cost. The Met Police have have said that in just six weeks this year, Just Stop Oil cost them more than £4.5 million. Mm. Does that shift public opinion at all? The sort of policing costs thing always gets rolled out whenever there's any environmental protest. I remember sort of similar figures being rolled out when there was anti-fracking protests up in Lancashire in particular when that was a thing and that cost millions of pounds over the years as well I'm not sure how much the policing cost element specifically cost sort of you know alienates the public I think it's clear from just you know if you just look at some of the sort of social media video clips of some of the encounters with you know the last 10 weeks of slow marches there's a mixture of people who are hooting them in support and there's a mixture of people who are who absolutely can't stand it and will either be swearing and shouting at them or physically come and try and remove them themselves without waiting for the police so you know it's clear they are alienating some people i think that's kind of the point of it from what i can see and mps have responded to all of this too and a few weeks ago we did have them voting in favor of a new law Mm. which will give police more powers to stop disruptive protests. 
Thank you, Mr Deputy Speaker. I beg to move that the Draft Public Order Act 1986, Serious Disruption to the Life of the Community, Regulations 2023, which were laid before this House on the 27th of April, be approved. Just explain a bit about how those powers work and if that'll sort of change the way Just Stop Oil is able to operate. There were some powers came in just before the coronation, and that has uh, that that's ended up with some sort of interesting kind of backfires for the police. So you know there was quite a quite controversial, yeah, quite controversial in terms of new powers. I think there's also been some changes recently, more recently in terms of where the threshold is on disruption, and it does seem that the police are quite often clearing them off the roads a bit quicker than maybe they were in the past. It's hard to tell. Just a, just a boil of given sort of differing figures of in terms of the time that they're occupying roads for. But, you know, clearly in some places the police are moving them on within a matter of minutes when they get there. But it really depends on where it takes place, it seems. And with Just Stop Oil, I mean, are there plans realistic? You know, we know we need to pivot the economy towards being lower carbon, our economy as well as others is so dependent on fossil fuels. Well, how do they expect people to to break that dependency? I suppose the thing is realistic is a sort of elastic word, right? In terms, depends on your your point of view. I think obviously some people occasionally who don't like the group have sort of presented it as the want to turn off the oil and gas overnight. That's clearly not what they're talking about. You know, when the government issues an oil and gas license, it literally takes decades for that to be up and running and actually producing oil and gas. You know, we're talking here about stopping things that probably aren't realistically going to be up and running until like the 2040s. So it's not like anyone's saying, let's have no oil and gas now. In terms of how realistic it is that we can reduce our dependency in the decades to come, it's worth remembering the oil and, the, the North Sea is a very mature and declining basin. Its production has been declining for about two decades. You know, it peaked a long time ago. It's a similar picture. Norway appears to be sort of having reached a sort of similar point now. They've, they think the peak has come there basically already, and that will very quickly decline as well. So, you know, there's two things, I guess. One is that this basin is running out of oil and gas anyway, and it's increasingly not economic compared to oil and gas you might import from elsewhere, which you can do more cheaply. And I guess the second thing is the climate change imperative and those who would argue that actually... You just need to get off oil and gas. You need to electrify pretty much everything. So, you know, those people would argue you need a massive expansion of renewable energy, nuclear energy in some cases, and you need to convert cars to electric. You need to convert those gas boilers to electric, such as heat pumps and so on. So, you know, there's obviously some things that can't be electrified and some things that will still require liquid fuels, but those liquid fuels don't have to be oil and gas. They could be hydrogen, ammonia, they could be, there's various other alternatives. So those people would say that the answer is to get off oil and gas and that it can be done. It's just a matter of will. So that sort of gets into the, the, it's always difficult. I often ask the same question to scientists, you know, is it realistic what you're suggesting? And I guess the, is it realistic? Depends on how seriously our leaders take things. Just Stop Oil do often compare themselves to the suffragette movement, you know, which was equally disruptive mm. and caused trouble mm-hmm. back then. Do you think in 50 years' time, even the people who, you know, hate it now, who hate the disruption, who complain about what they're doing, do you think the world will view their tactics very differently? I think it's, it's really hard to tell, right? There's a few things we do know for certain, and that's, you know, we do have some certainty around 
50 years time, the world will have almost certainly by that point gone well past 1.5 degrees of warming. We know that we're already struggling as societies with the level of warming we've got and the extreme weather it brings today. You know, we already can't cope with the sort of heat waves and floods and so on that 1.2 degrees of warming is bringing. So I guess just working on the logic of that, that things are going to get worse before they get better on climate change, you can imagine people in the future who are being affected by those worse events might mm. have a more sympathetic view to these people disrupting people going to a gardening show or going to the opera today they might think well boohoo poor you opera goer my house flooded yesterday for the you know 50th time this year because because <laughs> you were all burning oil and gas so i don't know it's hard to say but one thing we can say for sure is that you know our efforts on climate change are not commensurate with the challenge at the moment so i think it's easy to see how future generations might have some sympathy with just stop oil You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, the environment editor at The Times, Adam Vaughan. You can find all of Adam's environmental coverage at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription. The producer today was Priyanka Deladia. The executive producers were Kate Ford and James Shield, and sound design was by David Crackles. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl, yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>